example, like it's your fist. And if you put your thumb inside your fist, that's your amygdala. And like, this is like the rest of your, your brain. And so it's in the center. And when that starts like firing off, like he literally referred to it as like flipping the lid, right? Because it'd be shaking so much that like this part isn't connected and be able to process things. Yeah. Um, And so when it comes to like emotions in the moment, right? It just overpowers and it it blocks your ability to take in new information because whatever causes that emotional reaction is suddenly overpowering. Welcome to the Mindset Coach Academy podcast. I'm Lindsay Wilson, and I am a high-performance mindset coach, a mom, a former professional athlete, and an entrepreneur. I help coaches and high performers optimize their mindset to improve their coaching, their performance, and those of their athletes, and their lives. Here, you'll learn all about mindset, how to live it, how to teach it, and how to sell it. Today, you guys, we have a mindset coach that is kicking some serious butt in the mindset coaching world. She just wrote a book called Everything I Got. Her name is Julia Elaine, and I love this interview. I'm not going to tell you all about it, but I am going to tell you there was two things that she talked about. One about how to show up better in halftime or pregame speeches that I thought was just really, really cool based on her research and her thesis that she did as a, as a um, sports psychologist. And then um, the second thing was this example of why it's so important to prepare ourselves. She gave this example of like running a race and then at the end having to solve a math problem. I'm not going to tell you all of it because she explains it really well. But guys, this example really helps highlight how important it is to do mindset training ahead of time because our brains do not work the same way under pressure in uh, competition, in games. So the way that she explains it, though, is really cool. So listen up and also check out her book, Everything I Got. Guys, Julia Elaine. Hi, all and welcome to the Mindset Coach Academy podcast. We have a very special guest in the house today, Julia Elaine. I'm going to let her introduce herself in a second. You guys, we were just chatting before we got started. This is going to be a good one. This is all about sports psychology, mental performance training, all the stuff we need to know as coaches and as mindset coaches to help our athletes perform at their best. And in fact, to just let anybody that we're around lead, teach, parent, all of that stuff. We're going to get right into it. So welcome, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. We're going to hear about your new book as well. Um, all it takes. Is that what it's called? Everything I got. Everything I got. Everything I got. So we'll put the, post that in the show notes. Um, and we're going to talk about some specific sections for sure. Before we get into that, Julie, if you would uh, give us a 30 second s- synopsis on who you are. Yeah, definitely. Um, so my name's Julia. I grew up as an athlete my whole life. I was raised by a coach my whole life. Um, I played soccer primarily, but my dad was a hockey coach at the collegiate professional Olympic level. So I always felt like I had this unique experience of having the athlete experience, but also seeing the coach's perspective at every kind of level and every step of the way. And so my conversations growing up were really interesting and insightful. And that really just led me into this kind of passion of being curious about psychology and performance sports specifically. So I went to college. Um, I was an athlete in college. Then I interned with a sports psychologist there. And I got my master's degree in sports psychology from McGill University in Canada. 
And since graduating, I've been a teacher, um, primarily high school seniors and juniors teaching psychology. I started my own business where I consult with individuals, um, teams, athletes, mostly at the prep school, collegiate level, some internationally competing athletes, um, and just finished my book. Nice. I can't wait to hear about that. So you are a mental performance coach, a mindset coach, mental skills coach, all the same things. And I know a lot of people listening to this are aspiring to be that if they're not that already. I want to talk about the importance. I was just reading part of your book about the amygdala and and really like the basics of how the brain works. And again, a lot of people that are listening to this potentially know some of this. But if I were new and I didn't know how the brain worked and I was going to work with young people in any capacity, but let's say sports, I was going to coach them. What do you think that person really needs to understand in order to help coach their athletes better? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is just acknowledge the setting you're in. So this is true, especially for teenagers and people who are still developing mentally at any area, but like sports are just naturally an emotional setting. They're an emotional context. Um, I like working with hockey players, for instance, I say a 30 second shift, you can have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And that's in 30 seconds. Yeah. So imagine one game or one week or a whole season. Um, and they're, they're fun because they're emotional. So those emotions aren't a bad thing. That's what makes it exciting. That's what draws us in. That's what keeps us going. But at the same time, it can be really challenging. And so if you're working with an athlete or with a team and you have individuals that are teenagers or young adults, even understanding that our brain development doesn't actually end until we're about 25, 26. So you have athletes that physically might look full grown, look like adults, and in some ways act like adults but their brain isn't processing the situation like a fully mature adult would. And the main difference is that like prefrontal cortex that deals with our like logical thinking, rational thought, decision-making and impulse control isn't done developing yet, but their amygdala and their emotional center of the brain is. And so their emotions are firing off at full capacity and that frontal part of their brain that helps balance that out isn't fully there yet. And so just understanding that and having a little bit of compassion for them and also helping them understand that and have compassion for themselves actually makes navigating those situations a little bit easier, both for you and for them. I like that compassion piece. Um, I remember working with a, a rowing coach and I, I remember specifically him. Uh, he was kind of one of those old school guys, like very, very successful, but also like, guys, what pressure are you kidding me like call me when you have three kids and you just lost your job and you're going home you know after just losing your job like that's pressure right and and i think that that perspective can be healthy and also unhealthy depending on the situation but i love that idea of compassion and i'm wondering what a situation would be uh that a coach or a mindset mental performance coach that they're with an athlete are you talking like a pressure situation or dealing with failure or um, interpersonal stuff within their team? Like, do you have a specific example of like where a coach would be like, what in the actual <laughs> is going on? And an athlete like that is just how their brain is working. I mean, I think any moment I, we see it. This isn't also this isn't just teenagers and young adults. Like we see adult professional athletes have these emotional moments in in the game as well. But I think when you think about an athlete who's competing, especially in the heat of the moment, 
their heart is already racing because they're physically exhausted. They're exerting all their energy, right? Their heart's racing. Their breathing is quick and short. And so their brain is already preoccupied and exhausted with trying to like keep themselves alive and keep themselves focused. And like, you're getting an overload of information cognitively, right? Um, I was a soccer player. As a soccer player, there's 11 players on the other team. You have your team, you have the ball. Everyone's moving around. You're trying to process all of that. You're trying to make decisions. And then you throw in this emotional component. And so it's just this overload of information and expectations on your brain. So like in that moment, understanding that, yeah, you're already at a disadvantage with where your brain's at developmentally. And now we're throwing you into the fire and making you do all these other things and still expecting you to process and navigate and manage these emotions as effectively as an adult sitting on the sideline might be, who's not actually running up and down the field. Um, so I think those in-the-moment situations are are huge, but it happens in practice too. It happens off the field. And I think just taking the time, even if it's just three seconds of like giving your athlete, hey, like we're going to take a breath. We're mm-hmm. going to settle down. Like, yes, there's this time component when you're performing, but can you pull a player off the field and give them a second to reset um, and give them the space to do that? If it's in a practice situation, can you like take a moment and just like, ask what's going on and help them process the things that maybe they can't themselves, right? Sometimes just that like scaffolding um, or setting the example can be really helpful in the moment. And then they'll get back on track and they'll they'll kind of follow suit. One of the things I'm learning a lot with my children is co-regulation leads to regulation. Like you hear people saying that all the time. And I think that's really something that, uh, I mean, all of us can practice regardless of whether we're coaches or not. But I think that's a really good point of like that scaffolding. I love that idea. Yeah. Or even like just giving them a space and letting letting them know it's okay to need that space sometimes. So like in the chapter you read, I give an example where as a teacher, I wasn't even coaching, but I had a student having a rough day in the classroom. And instead of like just coming down on him and making a big scene, I just told him, hey, go take a walk. And like, come back when you're ready. I had no idea what was going on in his life. I never actually found out, but he came back and was able to be more productive and actually like sent me an email eight hours later that night, just saying, thank you. Still no idea what happened, but just understanding that, oh, it's okay for me to like need a second. And like, she like allowing them time and space to do that because processing things in the moment when you're surrounded by your peers and you're having all these expectations to perform, whether it's answer a question in the classroom or complete a test or make a basket, whatever it may be. Like there is well, tell me about like the the physiology behind that. Like what's actually happening in the brain? Because like again from parenting, I know when like athletes or kids or anybody gets in fight or flight, like there's no reasoning with them. Right. So what is actually happening in those heated moments when a coach is trying to give directions or they're trying to you know, have an athlete use their brain essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, (laughs) there's no getting through. Like how to, what is actually happening? It depends on the situation. I don't think there's like a, this is what happens in every scenario that we're talking about, but um, it, it is, it's overpowering. So like the the amygdala in your limbic system sits in the middle of your brain. Right. Um, and this isn't mine and now I'm blanking on the name, but I'm stealing this from a famous psychologist somewhere where um, like he would give you the little example, of, like it's your fist. And if you put your thumb inside your fist, that's your amygdala. And like, this is like the rest of your, your brain. 
Yep. And so it's in the center. And when that starts like firing off, like he literally referred to it as like flipping the lid, right? Because it'd be shaking so much that like this part isn't connected and be able to process things. Yeah. Um, and so when it comes to like emotions in the moment, right? It just overpowers and it, it blocks your ability to take in new information because whatever right. causes that emotional reaction is suddenly overpowering. Um, and then it impacts your ability to make decisions, to take in new information, yeah. to even listen. Um, and that, that like time to giving yourself that break, right? Like I said, taking a few seconds to just like breathing or whatever it may be going for a walk, removing yourself from the situation, even if it's just a few feet, like you don't have to go to a different room, but just like give yourself some space that allows like your brain and your body time to tap into like your parasympathetic nervous system to literally, okay, give yourself a second to get your heart rate back down to a more functional level. Um, let your brain settle and clear itself of like, what is irrelevant right now? Let me like, it's almost like when you have too many tabs open on your computer screen and your computer is getting really, really slow. And you're like, okay, I need to like X out of all the stuff I'm not using. Cause it's yeah. just cleaning up that space. Those are two really great metaphors for everybody listening. I want you guys, whether you're a coach or a mental performance coach or a parent to like take in what Julia is saying, because I think you know, and I'll, I'll link in our show notes. We have an actual product called uh, Mistake Ritual Magic, where we teach a reset ritual that has that is exactly this thing. And I think of all the things that I would recommend someone doing is this, because I think these skills, it's hard to remember in the moment. It's so hard to remember in the moment, which is why you have to practice it ahead of time, which is why we have people practice it in practice when they don't actually need it yet. But this simple thing, I think we all want like the fancy, dancy, whatever, like this, the ability to do this makes whatever happens after that in competition, let's say, better. Like it's so simple. It's so hard to remember if you haven't practiced it, though. Yeah, no, it's so funny. I have this conversation all the time with athletes and I'll ask them, like, what do you want to say to yourself in that moment? What do you want to do? And they have the answer. And so I tell them, we're not talking about something that you don't know what to do. I know you know what to do. And it's not that I'm doubting your ability to actually figure out the right solution or right response or whatever it may be in the situation. But understanding that in the moment, your brain's already overloaded. And so coming up with that right response, even if it's a few seconds delayed, and a few seconds when you are performing impacts it, right? And so the example I always give them, I ask, ask my athletes, I'm like, what's two plus two? And they're like, four. I'm like, you know that answer, right? And they're like, yeah. And I said, imagine you just went and you were running a 5K or any distance race, whatever it may be. And your goal, you wanted to break your PR. So you're running as fast as you can and as hard as you can. And as soon as you cross the finish line, I go, hey, what's two plus two? You're going to look at me, be out of breath, and you might actually say what before you can answer because you couldn't process the question. And then before I ask you the question again, your brain catches up and you're like, oh, yeah, it's four. It wasn't because you didn't hear me the first time and it wasn't because you didn't know the answer. Because your brain was catching up to where we are. And so that's what we're doing right now is I'm telling you the question before. Because if I said, hey, you're going to go run this race. When you cross the finish line, I'm going to ask yeah. you what two plus two is. You'd be running full speed ahead, cross the finish line, look at me and just say four and keep going. Oh, my God, Julia. This is genius. I love this. This is so true. Like we can all relate to that experience. And also the simple task of knowing it's coming. Mm -hmm. and preparing it ahead of time. I think that is absolutely genius. Thank you for sharing that with our community. I know there's many people that are 
pulling over right now as they're listening to the podcast to write this down. <laughs> yeah, it helps. It makes things tangible too, especially for young athletes. They're like, oh, that makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I think, um, well, and I just think you are I'm an elite athlete too. I mean, don't you think it's also just like it's been instilled in us that like the, the more competitive we are, the more we push, the more we just will ourselves to do it, the better off we're going to be, which is true in some situations until it's not. (laughs) And so often in those timeouts or those breaks or those whatever situations in the game, the person that is able to kind of step away from that, like pushing and just be is -hmm. the one that's going to be calm going forward. But we're not really taught that. No. And I have all the time athletes always say, oh, I need to work harder. Uh, or I want to be better. And I'm like, what does work harder mean? That's one of my least favorite phrases, especially as a coach, because you yell at an athlete and tell them to work harder. You're not giving them any clear direction at all. And usually when we as humans want to do something harder, the first thing we do is we flex our muscles and we tense up, which actually makes it harder for us to do a lot of these skills we need to do on the court or on the field or whatever your kind of performance area is. And so we don't have to do things harder we just need to like actually be a little bit smarter about how we're doing them. And sometimes it's like, move your feet more. Even that just gives you more instruction and clarity as an athlete, um, a little bit more direction and guidance. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, but I just like love every single piece of this. All right. Um, moving a little bit towards your work with athletes, you're working with teams. I mean, again, we're a lot of people listening to this are aspiring, if not already mindset coaches and mental performance coaches. Tell me a little bit about your business, where it is, where it's been, where you're going. Yeah. Um, so I'm based out of Connecticut, but I actually work with athletes all over the map. Um, silver lining, I think of the pandemic and us transitioning to Zoom was it made it easy to connect with people all over the place, like all, like this right now. Um, and to be honest, I didn't like the idea of Zoom when it, I first started using it because I really like this like personal connection. I like meeting athletes where they compete, where they train. But also athletes have probably the most difficult schedules out of anyone. <laughs> um, and so being able to connect virtually helped both them and I be able to like hop on a call and be able to be face-to-face and talk about things and not need to go meet each other at a different field or rink or wherever. Um, But yeah, so I work primarily with prep school and collegiate athletes. Um, Again, being a high school teacher and teaching primarily juniors and seniors, um, that age group I spend a lot of time with um, and get to see them in all these different areas, which really I think is valuable when you are a coach, even if it's not the kids you're coaching in the classroom, just like being exposed to them in all these different avenues I taught at a boarding school for a while. So there I also lived in the dorm and I taught and I coached and I ate dinner with them. And it really helps you see that like all of these kids aren't just athletes and they aren't just students and they aren't just this. Like you get to see the full picture of the individual, which is really cool and also really valuable when you're working with them. Um, Now I'm still teaching. I'm not at boarding school anymore, um, but I still teach. I run my business. Um, I also, I work with uh, USA Hockey's National Team Development Program, which is the U18 and U17 national team. They're based out of Plymouth, Michigan. So I fly out there once a month um, and work with those guys. And yeah. Amazing. So cool. Okay. Now you teased me earlier and told me about your thesis. And I am so fascinated by what you learned. Tell us about it and tell us what you learned. 
Yeah. So going into grad school, um, studying sports psychology, I was super interested in sports, like from a coaching perspective, again, being raised by a coach, I had a lot of those conversations naturally growing up and I wanted to try and study and like an aspect of coaching that I thought gets overlooked a lot. A lot of the coaching research, especially when I was in school was looking at like practice planning and season long planning and like, all of like the controllables that coaches have, which is super important. Like coaches are super detail oriented. Yep. They have practice plans. They plan out their whole season and it's great. But I was reading all this research and I'm like, that's awesome. But like, you can't plan how a game's going to go. So like, what, what, does coach- hit in the face, yeah. right? <laughs> what happens? What does a coach do when things don't go as planned? Yeah. Um, and so then I started reading, there's a decent amount of research on like, pre-game speeches and like pre-game talks and what coaches do during game day. But again, I was like, you can prepare and plan your pre-game speech, right? You can write down drafts if you really want to, you can practice it. So I ended up studying intermissions because I was like, you don't know what's going to happen after that first period or after that first half. And I want to know how coaches respond when they have maybe 30 seconds to gather themselves before they go talk to their team. Yeah. Um, so I, I focused on hockey coaches just because I wanted like the group that they were all coaching the same sport. So I studied NCAA Division One men's hockey coaches in their intermission strategies and routines. So I did um, a little bit of like a recall interview with them where I picked the game from their last season and had them walk me through the game, what they did. Um, also did just qualitative interviews. And I was just really interested in, yes, you make some maybe like tactical adjustments to your game plan but like how do you approach and address the emotion in the room good or bad mm-hmm. how do you address the the negatives and the positives how are you navigating this and hockey is unique too because hockey you get two chances to do it right yeah. um and so it's really interesting to one reflect with these coaches on a specific game that i had them choose and to just explore all the different things that come up um in that like 15 minute period <laughs> I just read that art. Did you see that article in New York Times or Atlantic or something about hockey players' uh, intermission routines? No, but now I have to go look it up. Oh yeah, I'll send it to you. It was really interesting. It was it was pretty recently too, and I was like, oh, I gotta read this. It was just all about like all their little quirks and little superstitions and what people do, and people had some crazy stuff they were doing. Okay, what what did you learn? Um. So. So many things. And actually, there's pieces of it in my book. Um, yeah. I used a lot of that. Um, one of my favorite takeaways, though, and it's one of the lessons in the book, um, was you want to be the calm in the storm and be the storm in the calm. And the co- coach that I interviewed, he was just talking about it's really, it's not about how you feel in the moment. Because as coaches, we are just as emotionally invested as the players, right? Yeah. You are just as frustrated. You are just as nervous. You are feeling all of the feelings. Um, but your job is to give the players what they need in the moment, um, not what you need. And also, I also think it's really interesting, like what they need, not what you want to give them. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you may be really frustrated and angry at them and yes. they're not playing great. But that anger isn't necessarily going to get you what you want out of them. Um, right. Even even if they aren't kind of living up to your expectations, going in there and kind of raising them for it, is that going to get them to where you want them to be? In some situations, maybe. But um you need to know your team and you need to know the context. Um, so I thought the be the calm in the storm and be the storm in the calm was really a cool way of putting it is when like the storm is that intimidating chaos, like tons of emotions and coming in and like being that calm and like balancing them out. Right. 
talking a little bit softer. So they really have to like listen and focus in on you to hear what you're saying. Um, if you go in and try and speak over them, you're just adding to the chaos. You're adding to the noise. You're adding to all of the excess emotion. But also, if it's if it's really calm and they need a little bit more energy, you go in and you bring that energy. You be that storm for them. So it's all about balancing out their emotions rather than just mirroring them, um, which can be really cool, which I thought was cool. Um, because again, as a coach, you probably feel all the things that they feel. Yeah. So it's a little bit there's a performative element to it and there's an intentional element to it, which I thought was really valuable. Um, and then also the whole uh, like movie intermission, raw, raw speech, they said doesn't work every time, right? It, it has to be really intentional. If you're going to go in there and really put on this show and give this like performative intermission speech, it works because it's rare. So if that's if you're doing that every game, every intermission, it loses its kind of power. It's the same thing as someone who says sorry all the time. It loses sorry loses its meaning. Yeah. So again, being intentional um, with all the things you do, which is really cool. Wow, those are some really cool nuggets. Uh, there's just so, so many takeaways from everything we've talked about, but that in particular. Having done that research yourself, is there anything that you took away personally, at, even in your personal life or in your in your work with athletes? Yeah, I mean, so I coached for a while. Um, I was a head soccer coach. I don't coach anymore just because my schedule doesn't allow it. Um, but I, I tried a lot to implement a lot of those things at halftime, um, always making sure that I gave my team time before I went to go talk to them, right? Um, I let them debrief on their own without me while I was debriefing with my assistants and getting as much information. Um, and then I would always actually go in. And before I said anything, I would always ask my team first. What do you see? Um, because not only was I trying to decide what they needed based on what I saw, that also gave me more information, right? And I think it's more valuable to have them tell you what they're seeing and what they think adjustments need to be made than you just telling them, right? And a lot of times they ended up not doing my job for me, but not like helping me. So I didn't just go and repeat the same things they just said to each other. Um, and it gives them that ownership too, um, and a little bit of autonomy than just coming in and being like, okay, coach is telling me to do this. I have to do this. And coach thinks this. So what do you, your thoughts are valuable too. I want your input. And I also trust you guys. Um, I, we've practiced together all week. I know you guys know what we can do and what we should be doing. So let's navigate it together. I bet you were such a great coach. That's awesome. <laughs> so cool. So cool. Um, tell us about the book. Yeah, so um, it's crazy to me that it's actually out there and people are reading it. Very excited. Um, it is a collection of lessons. So the title is everything I got. The subtitle is 30 Lessons on What You Give, What You Get, and How You Grow Through Sports. Um, so writing a book has always been a dream of mine. And I was always writing, um, to be honest. There's paragraphs and pieces that were just parts of, of like my reflections as an athlete or a kid in college and grad school um a lot of it just came from me piecing together like my experiences both as an athlete as a coach as a mental skills coach as a grad student researching as a daughter watching her dad coach and go to the olympics and win a national championship and do all these crazy things and so it's a unique blend um i would say it's a little bit mix of like memoir personal uh, experiences with sports psych research and actual studies with some sports history too. So um, it's 
a really accessible way to get some science-y like research, but in a storytelling manner. Yeah. Well, that's the way most people want to read it anyway. Yeah. So awesome. Um, this has been so amazing. I usually finish with five sort of rapid fire questions. Are you okay with okay. that? Okay. Yep. We'll go for it. Uh, what info are you consuming? Info like books? Anything. Uh, I mean, I read a ton. My brother got me a book for Christmas that I just started reading and I'm going to blank on who wrote it, but the title is on turning um, followers into leaders. And it's about a Navy SEAL captain. I just started it. So I'm going to get into it. Uh, What are you creating? Creating? Um, I mean, I just finished creating the book. So now I'm trying to like... Resting from creating? (laughs) No, I'm still creating, but I'm trying to now adapt the book into small like pieces that I can share out and kind of talk to people about, whether it's like Instagram posts uh, with a lesson. Every Monday I was posting a lesson um, or just different excerpts. So where like, can I'm kind people... of kind of recreating right now. Yeah, yeah. Where um where can people find that? Uh so my Instagram is Elaine Mental Performance. So A L L A I N Mental Performance. Perfect. What's one habit, a healthy habit that you do daily? Mm, go to bed at a good time. I was not always good at that, but uh, as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at telling myself that I can finish it tomorrow and I'll be better tomorrow if I sleep than I will yes. be if I finish this and I'm tired. Amen. Uh, what is your next big leap? I went back to grad school recently, and so I'm going to get my master's in mental health counseling so I can kind of offer more support to my athletes because it's becoming such a, a need in the world today. So I just kind of started that. So I'd say my next big leap is finishing that. And part of that is like internships and all of that. Awesome. And what is bringing you joy or wonder right now? My family. Nice. Good one. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Julia, thank you so much. Everybody knows how to find you. They know your book. We're going to put all that in the show notes. And just thank you so much for taking the time today, loving the book, loving all these little lessons. And I know what we talked about today and if people continue to, to support you and follow you, that they're going to just gain so much knowledge from you. So I appreciate you taking the time. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Fun. All right. Talk soon. Bye. Guys, wasn't that so cool? I loved so many of her tips. I loved hearing about her research into hockey coaches. I thought that was super fascinating. And I just love that example of someone, you know, running. I don't remember the distance. It was two miles or something like that. And then at the end, asking them a math problem and how important it would be for them to understand what was happening and having actually prepared for that moment to answer that math problem. I think that's such an easy, simple example for us and for the people that we coach to understand how important it is to practice this stuff ahead of time. You're not going to learn anything new. You're not going to react in the correct way if we haven't practiced it ahead of time. When you're out of breath and you're tired and you're in fight or flight, we have to have these routines to go back to. So I just love that example. And um, I'm so excited about her book. I've read part of it. Um, But I definitely encourage you to check it out. Everything I got, we'll put it in the show notes. And guys, if you like this episode, like it, share it, review it, subscribe, do all the things to keep more great interviews coming your way for those of us that are in this mindset coaching world. And if you are an aspiring mindset coach, we have a new ebook and guide coming out. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, when it's available as well. And I'll see you again next week. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye for now.
Hey, if you loved this episode, make sure to check out all of our free and paid resources over at positiveperformancetraining.com. You want to take mindset training to the next level? We got you. But here are three more specific ways. If you want to take mindset training and live it more in your life, definitely subscribe to this podcast. We send out bonus episodes. We have our mental Mondays. We have interviews and training episodes. Definitely subscribe. If you want to teach it, meaning taking it to your athletes or your clients, I highly recommend Psychology of Competition. Again, you can check that out at positiveperformancetraining.com. It is a great course that will teach you and your athletes how to have pre, during, and post-competition routines to up your performance. And if you want to learn how to have a mindset coaching business in order to sell mindset coaching, highly recommend signing up for our waitlist for our next certification cohort, which usually opens about once a year. But in the meantime, go to positiveperformancetraining.com and check out our ultimate mindset coaching toolkit. Well, it will show you exactly how to get started with your first mindset coaching clients. Again, go to positiveperformancetraining.com for all of our free and paid resources.